Hi everyone, welcome to episode 24. My guest today is an ex-MMA fighter, BGJ Purple Belt, and founder of Girls Who Fight, Gemma Sheehan. It's time to high-five and fist bump. A jiu-jitsu podcast for the everyday grappler. Let's talk subs, let's talk positions, let's talk dominating the mats. Welcome to the Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu podcast with Raymond Terrence. Today is a BGJ Purple Belt from Gringo Jiu-Jitsu and founder of Girls Who Fight. Gemma Sheehan, Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu. Hello. <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Gemma. Hey. <laughs> so, so so, we totally didn't rehearse that like 10 times before we started the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, just so for everyone knows, we're currently at Brian's uh, podcast location. So if it sounds like crap, everyone can post fault. and comment that Brian's podcast studio sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm glad that he had me here because I get to have Brian on at the same time. So uh, Gemma, thanks very much for being on. I know we kind of did this uh, super fast, which is usually what I said to be in a podcast, but people tend to be really quick to jump on the boat which is great so i appreciate you being here um maybe tell everybody a little bit uh about yourself and how you got into martial arts yeah um i started getting into martial arts when i was in high school around grade 10 before that i had done a lot of uh i was at an arts high school so i was doing acting and dance and stuff and as a kid i did a lot of dance and gymnastics and things but i never really felt very good at any of the things that i did like the other girls in the programs just surpassed me and just nothing really clicked. And then around grade 10, I tried a kickboxing class because I moved across the street from a gym. And when I was a kid, I thought that I would be like an amazing spy. Like I, I was obsessed with spy <laughs> stuff. And uh, in my head, I just thought I would be like a really badass, like fighter, warrior. Like I love those kinds of movies. So I tried the kickboxing class and I did it for like a year just for like fitness and exercise outside of school. And then in grade 11, I started, um, I tried a jujitsu class. And then from there, pretty much after like a year, um, I was doing wrestling, jujitsu, kickboxing, like, and that was pretty much my life from high school all the way through till the end of university. Um, and a couple years after, until I decided to kind of call it quits on the competitive I was pursuing MMA like uh, as a career so that was really all I wanted to do throughout university and high school and I, th I thought that was the only thing I was going to do um and then yeah I had six MMA fights I had a record of five and one and at the end of it I decided to end my MMA career and I started my company now called Girls Who Fight that's awesome. And where were you training out of when you were doing MMA? Were you spe specific to one gym? No, <laughs> not at all. Um, I I started I started at a gym called UMAC, and after a couple years, I started branching out because really to do MMA at the level that I wanted to, you like there isn't really one gym in the city. Um, like I, I like a lot of gyms, but there isn't one gym I could say that has a great program for everything. There are certain gyms that have really good jujitsu programs. So Gringo Jiu-Jitsu is mainly where I trained for that. Um, there were certain gyms for wrestling and certain gyms for kickboxing. So for kickboxing, I was at Bazooka Kickboxing with uh, Joe Valtellini, uh, the glory champion. And for wrestling, I was wrestling with Team Impact. And I went to another gym called Open Mat once a week to work with their wrestling and um, Nogi no Jiu-Jitsu instructor as well. Uh, I had another gym I went to just for conditioning, and I was working with another MMA coach, Oliver Vadney, 
like out of his basement. So I really like bust all around the city to get <laughs> to a ton of different places. <laughs> That's cool. And were you going to school at the time or were you working? Or... Yeah, I went to, so I, I, yeah, this was mainly in university when I was like really serious about fighting. So all my, I, I was in uni- university for four and a half years. So all, all throughout that I was doing that. I got my degree in international relations and I was working as a lifeguard. So my job throughout university was like a swim instructor and lifeguard at an outdoor pool in the summers. But other than that, I had a job as like a hostess. And then one day they just stopped scheduling me for shifts. (laughs) And then that's pretty much it. Wow. That's cool. Okay. So you got, so what drew you towards MMA? Like what moved you from just doing kickboxing to saying, okay, like I want to jump in a cage and like, you know, punch girls in the face. Was there something that kind of, you know, flipped like the switch or did you, did you know that, you know, you were already a very competitive person and you just like, I want to do everything. She wanted to be a ninja, right? Didn't you hear? Yeah. I Yeah, I definitely could say when I was a kid, I thought I would be like a really, really good, like like ninja warrior assassin like fighter all of those things when you're a kid that's like glamorized in movies I thought like yes um but no when I started kickboxing I didn't see it right at first um and then to be honest I feel like when people ask me this question like they want a different answer but I started training a lot at the gym because there was a guy at the gym that I had like a really big crush on that went to my high school (laughs) and uh, (laughs) he was training like all the time. Like he was the most obsessed person with fighting that I ever met. And he was um, at least at the time and he was training all the time and I was just in kickboxing and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll, I'll do some jujitsu. And then we ended up like, we had like a five year relationship after that, but that was like, kind of how I started doing everything else and then after that I really like I started showing up I started getting better and then I feel like it's just a natural path after that because you start doing good in the gym and this is what I see happen with so many people is like it's not necessarily you start going to a martial arts gym with the mindset of like I'm gonna be a UFC fighter it's like you start going um you start getting some skills and then people start being like oh you're doing really good when when are you gonna fight and everyone starts asking you when you're going to fight. And then you're like, oh, I, I guess I should fight. And then you then you have a fight and like you win or you lose. But like you you feel like it's um, exciting and that you can do it. And that's what I felt like happened to me. Like and then I just accepted that this was just going to be like my life. OK, so basically all that to say you joined MMA to get a boyfriend. Um, that's like the fancy way of saying essentially, yes. (laughs) It's really funny because people like I do, people interview me a lot, especially like, um, like women's empowerment type stuff. And when they ask me that question, I feel like that's the last answer that they want to hear. But (laughs) I'm just like, honestly, that's what the truth is. I was like 14. (laughs) There was the guy at the gym and I started doing jujitsu because of that. That's but then funny. I kept with it, and yeah, That's things funny. worked all out. All the guys say that to you at the gym. We, we we all say the same thing. Like, if if only girls would come to jujitsu. You know, all the girls that you know. You, oh, I have a hard time finding a good guy or to find a boyfriend <laughs> or this and that. Just like go to a martial arts class, and there's like a sea of men. Not just any martial arts class. No, no, jujitsu specifically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like that. Definitely, it's like a huge pool of uh, guys yeah. for sure. Nice. 
Uh, I was just going to ask about your MMA fights, Gemma. You said you were five and one. Is that was that like a like in an amateur circuit or was that smokers? Yeah, that was, was that? those were all those were all amateur uh, amateur fights. Mm-hmm. Although a lot of them were in the states and they didn't have like the Canadian amateur rules. Like the Canadian mm-hmm. amateur fight scene when I was when I did some Canadian fights were like fully gear, like headgear, shin guards, like uh, everything. Um, I had like two like that, maybe three like that. And then the rest were in the States where it was like no gear at all, just the mouth guard and the, and the MMA gloves. Wow. Hmm. That's really intense. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) So MMA is intense. (laughs) So how, how do, were you able to find a lot of training partners? I know for, well, for one, I mean, we talk a lot about jiu-jitsu, but I guess in martial arts in general, it, it doesn't attract or it hasn't attracted a lot of women to it. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very fine line. Uh, I think it's getting better now than it was before. Uh, but at the time when you were training MMA, were you mostly training with men and sparring against men? Or did you also have training partners that were women? Yeah, it was always mostly men. Uh, there were some girls that were like good jujitsu girls or some girls that were good kickboxing girls. And I would train with them um, too. But wherever I was, training partners were all guys. I was lucky to have a couple guys that were like around my size though and around skill level that I could really, really go with at a competitive level that weren't like I wasn't afraid of like them knocking me out or or like injuring me or anything. But yeah, most, mostly guys, some, there are some girls, sometimes like you try to set up training sessions with them, but it's never really that consistent. Like you think you'll train with them consistently, but nah, you just end up training with the people at your gym, at least in my experience. Okay. And and in your MMA fights, did you, did you just so happen to use a lot of jujitsu or did most of it, uh, end up, uh, just on your feet sparring, like with, uh, with punching and kicking or did, did it ever go to the ground? Yeah, they all they all all of them went to the ground because I I didn't want to get hit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why like I I focused a lot on wrestling always. Like I was wrestling two I think usually twice a week. Um, but so many people in jujitsu don't do wrestling at all, and I I really think that's because wrestling is very uncomfortable and rough, and people in jujitsu feel like they don't necessarily need it they can just pull guard and do their jujitsu so why invest in like going to rough practices and getting like beat up by tough wrestlers um but i've i really felt like that was key for me to be able to take the fight to the ground to use my jujitsu because i really like getting hit i was never down for that or comfortable with it and i feel like it would affect me in terms of um my own like offense and stuff so yeah i usually in all my all my five of my six fights sorry four one i got the first one i got tapped out i didn't yeah i got it i lost my arm bar and then all the other ones except for the last one were ended by tko or submission on the ground by me nice so so you lost your first mma fight yeah, that was a Canadian fight against um, like another jujitsu girl, and uh, yeah, I got armbarred, and what there was wasn't her like her name was. Oh, uh, she's actually she's from Ottawa. She was, I forget her name. <laughs> I forget her name. Um, <laughs> she was like the first one, but yeah, she we we were in the guard, and I remember the headgear was like getting all messed up, and then she rolled out an armbar from guard and I was on my back and the ref immediately stopped it. Like there wasn't 
even time to tap or anything or even like the ref saw the arm bar he just stopped it and I was like mm, well that's shitty but it didn't it didn't bother me like I just was excited for the next one and then everyone after that I ended with a sub or a TKO and then the last fight I had was decision nice and after your first loss like you it didn't even cross your mind to be like okay like I'm done like this is not for me no no I just felt because I knew that like the way it ended was kind of weird and I knew that um I knew that I could like I just knew I hadn't really shown what I was capable of like even though to other other people it might have looked like that to me I was like inside I knew that I was capable of much more than that and it didn't really sway me away from it and and tell people what happened when you decided to stop MMA and and how that whole the whole thing came about well um yeah in a in my last fight was at the end of 2015 and and right after like a week after my last MMA fight my so that guy that I told you that I had a crush on and dated for five years he he had, a, he had a brother called Spencer and like all of us were like a really tight crew we would go we went to all the same gyms from the time we started till the end of like when we all stopped fighting um and we were hanging out all the time training all the time together and we were really close his name is Spencer and he got head kicked one day in training and he got knocked out and Spencer was someone who was, he was like at the top of the Toronto MMA scene, like the probably the most potential to make it to the UFC. And like everyone knew that everyone was like wanting to be his best friend. Everyone wanted him at their gym. He was fighting all the time. And then he got knocked out in training. And to this day, which is like three years later, um, he has not been able to leave, lead a normal life. He's had like the worst post-concussion syndrome symptoms I've ever seen. Like he had to be hospitalized like six months after that. Cause his heartbeat dropped so low. Um, he lost like 50 pounds. He has, he had the most horrible, like um, just, just issues with his brain head, headaches. Like even now talking to him, you can have a conversation with him for like an hour and he's wearing he's wearing earplugs and a hat to keep the light out and you could tell he's like irritated by too much stimulus it's just, it, it was really that really really well. really sad and then so so that happened and i i was still fighting for like a year after that and then in that year i got uh, i had my third mri and they called me in and they said that i had something called white hyperintensities which are basically white clusters in your brain where they shouldn't be. And they said that nobody has these, uh, like only elderly people above 65 have these or people who have significant brain trauma or like degenerative diseases. Like if you have dementia, um, or Parkinson's or, or something like that, but you, that's you when a lot you, of hits though to get that job. Not in any fights. Um, except the actual, the last fight I did, but I had this, uh, like it showed in my MRI before my last fight. So if I had the trauma, it must've been from like years, the first few years I started fighting. And it's possible they said that I was born with it or that it happened when I was a kid, which I can't remember anything like that. I think I fell down the stairs once, but <laughs> I don't think that would lead to that. But um, so they said, basically, we can't prove it's from trauma, but considering what you do for like a living, it's most likely this has developed from you getting head injuries and this poses like a serious threat to you. And they said that even if I wanted to keep going, the UFC probably wouldn't let me compete because it's not like a concussion where the, um, 
like you don't see anything on a brain scan. My stuff shows up as like two white balls of dots. Um, and so I, I emailed, I like was looking for, uh, like specialists in white, white matter. And I sent them my MRIs and they all gave me the same advice, which was to like stop fighting as hard as it might be. And then, so that happened. And after that, I kept fighting for six months and I was preparing for a fight and I didn't really tell anyone about it because I was in such denial. Like I didn't, I didn't want it to like, I almost wanted to pretend I didn't know it. Because like at that point, I it was it was like fighting had been the only thing that m- made me feel significant in a way. Like it was who I was. It was all I do. It was all people know me for. I hardly paid attention in university, and I wasn't interested anyway. So like, <laughs> what am I gonna do with my life if I'm not like Gemma Smash and like, you know? So that was worrying at first, and then the girl I was supposed to fight dropped out. Um, and I was really glad she did because the whole time training, like, you know, in the back of your mind that something's wrong. Um, like you can't really, you can fool other people, but you can't really fool yourself. And then one day I got like rocked by a head kick from a girl I was training with. And it was this, it was a really stupid sparring session. Cause the girl, like the, she's, she was one of the people who, who goes really hard, even when you're not supposed to go hard and like throws head kicks, even when you're not supposed to throw head kicks. Yeah, Brian. And instead of me being like, yeah, Brian, that's not me. Oh, that's Brian. Lying on the floor. <laughs> instead of with people like that, like really what you should do is just, um, not spar with them anymore because mm-hmm. like the, the, the stupid thing to do, which is what I did was like, okay, you want to go hard? I'll I'm go hard. Yeah. And then what happened is like, I, like the last second, of course, before the bell rings, I caught one of the very like hard head kicks. And it was like that day where I was like, okay, what, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing right now? I know that I have brain like damage from this stuff. I'm still coming here. Like, I really need to reconsider my, what I'm doing with my life. And then from there, I decided to quit fighting. Hmm. Um, And it was kind of like, it was a part of the health, but it was also a part of when I sat back and, and sat out of it for a while, I started looking at like what a life in MMA would really mean to me and what were the costs and what were the benefits. And a lot of the the way I started thinking about the benefits didn't seem as beneficial anymore. And I don't mean to like, I don't like judge anyone or uh, I don't mean to like take anything away from anyone that is pursuing MMA. But for me, I thought that when I was in MMA, it felt like such a big deal. Like it felt like, oh, I, like I'm so cool, like <laughs> I'm like a, a fighter and and whatever. But when I zoomed out, like I didn't really see how me dedicating my life to it impacted anything or anyone else. So in that way, it ended up seeing a lot smaller and less of a big deal than I initially thought. And I was looking at like fighters and um, when they retire, like the injuries they have and like speech impediments and memory loss and like even just how short-lived fighting careers are Mm -hmm. and how hard it must be to leave a career at age like 35 and then like a year later there's already all these new people and nobody really knows you or cares about you and and it's just to me it stops seeming so fulfilling Mm -hmm. so I looked at it like that and then with the injuries and I said you know what like there, there must be something else I could do and I didn't really know what it was at first but like luckily I thought of girls who fight and I started that and it has just been like the best thing in my life so far. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get into it. I want to, Brian has been waiting to ask you a question, so I'm going to ask I you a question to just finish. to screw him up a little <laughs> bit too. So, <laughs> no, what I wanted to say was just a comment is that when you're talking about, you know, how you kind of took a step back and you kind of looked at MMA and all the training that you were doing, you're like, well, let's look at a long-term plan and see if it's worth it for me. Yeah. And you, the hype was there for so long, right? And I think in every martial art, um, a lot of people who start, doesn't matter if it's jiu-jitsu or boxing or anything like that, they get really into it. I mean, we see it in jiu-jitsu all the time, right? The white belts that are there and they're oh, yeah, trying yeah, yeah. to get out to as many classes as they can. But eventually, you have to take a step back and be like, you know what? Like, I have a family. I have a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. I have this. I have that. Mm-hmm. Like, I It's it's not going anywhere. So can I still enjoy what I'm doing, but enjoy life at the same time? Right. So to be able to try to balance both. And at first you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is all I want to do. Um, but long-term as you were saying that maybe it wasn't viable. Right. Yeah. I think like that. Yeah. That that's total. That makes total sense. Cause at first all you are is potential Mm -hmm. when you're like a 17 year old 18 year old kid and you just started training and like you're super athletic and all you have is time um and focus and energy to like dedicate yourself like that you're just like a ball of potential and um it's really really easy to see that as to only see that when looking at an MMA career and you have people and that's really exciting. you the same thing too, right? You have people yeah. pushing you and telling you how much potential you could have if you just dedicate, you know, your time to more training and learning this and learning yeah. that. So it's the surrounding too, right? That comes with that martial art vibe too of instructors wanting you to do your best and pushing you. And I mean, we see that too uh, on our end, especially here, you know, you'll, you'll get kids that are like 15, 16 years old and, you know, you'll, you'll have people be like, oh man, he's going to be amazing in like five or six years. If he just yeah. keeps up with it, you know, he just trains. But you know what? These people, they're like, they're not going to stay in that little. I'm talking about jiu-jitsu, but they're not going to stay in that little jiu-jitsu bottle, uh, bubble for the next five years. They're 17. Like, they're going to go to, like, they're going to get out of high school. They're going to go to CJ. They're going to go to university. Other things are going to mm-hmm. take over. It's not going to be the only thing that they're going to do, right? You don't want them to be, to be defined by just that one sport. Especially, I think a lot of people don't want to be defined just by one thing either. And a 17-year-old, like, you have no idea what's going on with life anyways. Like, you're just 17, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think like, it's so easy. And and what you said about like everyone around you building it up too, that's such a big thing. Like, that's what kind of what I meant when I said when I was young, and I started doing a little good in the gym, everyone is like, Oh, when are you fighting next? Oh, you know, you could do this, you could be the next Ronda Rousey, and you could do this. Oh, you're better than that girl competing in the and And you start building this idea of like, Oh, yeah, I, I am good. Like, <laughs> I could, I could be I could like do this. But you don't have anyone who's sitting you down being like, Yes, you can do this. But here's what you're giving up and here are what the consequences are, because there there's nothing that doesn't have its consequences. And to act like something as like dangerous as MMA doesn't or even just to I feel like for coaches to ignore discussing stuff like that, especially with their young and like eager 17 year old students who are going in the gym and sparring like totally recklessly often, um, I, I feel like that's very negligent. Um and that's one of the issues I have with with certain with some gyms and like how they manage dealing with 
their athletes because uh, everyone is responsible for themselves at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. But I think as a coach, you like, especially now coaching my own, my own girls, like I'm not coaching them to be like UFC fighters. I'm, I'm training them for like them to learn martial arts, self-defense, build confidence, feel like part of a team, all of that. But I feel like coaches who are training people specifically to build fighters, like especially kids, you have to make it clear about what the consequences are because otherwise they will not educate themselves. Like they're not going to go home and start researching like CTE and and like white, white, what is white matter? I had no idea what that was. Nobody told me like, Hey, listen, you shouldn't go and spar hard every day with all of these guys that are twice your size. Mm -hmm. So they might just end up being in denial. Like who did? Coaches? Or no, oh oh yeah, athletes same. yeah 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 it's athletes for sure yeah, yeah well Brian, yeah. Brian and, and I yeah Brian and I have spoken about this previously about how we always hear about coaches that are really pushing people who have you know uh, maybe you know who are maybe naturally gifted that are just very athletic yeah. and you know yeah. people who do kickboxing or MMA or stuff like that and coaches are very for you know trying to get them to the next level but never once do we hear them say oh man but you know if you get another hit in the head you know bad things are going to happen yeah. you know like that whole other side of things you, yeah yeah you definitely don't hear it as often as as the positive right no so, Gemma um just I'll take a step back here for a second uh aside from your um dream of being a member of the league of shadows when you were <laughs> before that, let's say when you were like x-men 12. actually what's that <laughs> more more x-men oh more x-men was, okay yeah <laughs> we, we have it we have an x-men we have a night crawler that we uh, that we train with so yeah <laughs> Shout out to Chris. um when you were like i guess maybe let's say 12 13 like before it was even a thought in your head yeah did you, what was your childhood like like did you have was there another motivation for you to get into martial arts to begin with, or was it strictly because of that, that, uh, that glorified, uh, vision of, of being a, like a badass fighter, or was there something else? Did you get bullied? Did you have issues in the past? Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Um, no, I never really got bullied. Like I, I, I don't have memories of being like really picked on. Um, but I feel like in high school, if, if anything, it was more like body image like uh thinking i was fat when i wasn't at all like it's like i I don't know i've seen a meme once where it was like do you ever wish you were as fat as you were back when you thought you were fat (laughs) like a long time ago (laughs) and that's how that's how i feel about myself like in high like i look at my high school photos i'm like how did i think that um but it it was girls i think uh yeah it's definitely and i you know what it's getting a lot worse too because in high, when I was in high school, um, I'm 24. So that was like, uh, I don't even know, eight years ago or something. Um, we were only really comparing ourselves to each other in high school, like other, you know, 12, 13 year old girls. And that wasn't really such a big deal. There's always going to be comparison. There's always going to be judging and self, like self judging and body image stuff. But now what you have is girls not comparing each other to other girls like just like them but comparing each other to like the most famous models on instagram and being like oh this is what makes people famous oh like oh this is what i should look like if if i want people to like like me and follow me oh okay and then like that starts influencing how they um how they are and how they feel but yeah sorry that was kind of a rant but 
Um, back to your question, I didn't really deal with bullying, a bit of body image issues. I, definitely when I started kickboxing, I did lose a little bit of weight, but I mainly got more like toned and fit. But I also stopped looking at myself that way um, in terms of like, oh, I have like, this is my weight. And I don't like I want to be less of this weight. It was more like, okay, like my like I like the way I look. I'm healthier. I'm fitter. And I feel like that I experienced. But yeah, I didn't I I don't have that story of like a lot of the UFC fighters about like being bullied and then training, going through like a training camp and emerging stronger. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you hear a lot of those stories because those are the ones that are, I guess, more interesting for people. Yeah. You know, you want people getting bullied and then, oh, I took martial arts and now I'm a badass. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's not, I think it's it's a portion. Yeah, it's a portion of people, but I think, you know, people just join martial arts because they just want to do something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody joins for different reasons. What's What's always good and has been like very valuable. In fact, at this point in my life, I find this one of the most valuable aspects of being in martial arts is the community aspect, like going, having somewhere, because after high school or if you're in school, it's kind of nice because you see people, you have like a community of people that you see and like catch up with you. And after that, you enter the adult world and you're like, oh, okay. If I want to stay in touch with people, we have to like hang out. And we're probably not going to do that that often. <laughs> so if you have stuff like a, a jujitsu gym, now you have all these people who you see on a regular basis. And I feel like those social interactions um, are really, really, really positive for people. I definitely find that now, especially as like, um, like trying to like starting a business and being super busy. And it's nice to be around people who you've known for like seven years who have like watched you grow and just to like be like hey how are you Gemma like like what's up what's new it's just it's meaningful Mm -hmm. so you did dance and gymnastics do you find that um, that training that you did in your life did that help you in any way in uh, martial arts or MMA yeah, for sure. Um, I just feel like I have always been able I've been like naturally athletic, whereas people who didn't do any sports are not going to be that athletic. Like I can my body understands what an instructor is teaching it to do. And I see that a lot with kids is like I could tell right away if a kid has not done any sports. It's so obvious, like you t- you're trying to teach them how to shrimp and it takes like 20 minutes versus like 30 seconds for someone who has done even like soccer or gymnastics or dance. They just have a body awareness that you don't have if you didn't do sports. And did you swim a lot when you, because uh, you said you were, you know, you became a mm-hmm. lifeguard. Yeah, yeah. So you swam a lot as a kid too? Um, Not like competitively, but for like, I was always doing swimming lessons. Like every year I was in like a new level of swimming lessons. So yeah. Okay, nice. So tell everyone about um, how your organization started, the girls who fight. Uh, how did that start and where did, where did the idea came from, come from? Yeah. Uh, where did the idea come from? I thought, I just thought about it. <laughs> I thought like, okay, what are my skills? I've like been training for eight years at that point. Um, and like MMA, I don't want to be a fighter anymore. And um, I never really thought of myself as like having a gym. I didn't think I would like that that much, but I realized there wasn't 
there wasn't really a lot of um like women's MMA based self defense or like even just women's MMA programs like every every gym is um mostly men which is fine cuz most of the people in MMA are men so that's makes total sense i've never had a problem training with men um but i just re- i recognized that there wasn't there was like a market that wasn't really being served and actually, I, I didn't know if there was a market. Like, I didn't know if it was just that way because women didn't want to train. But I felt like if there was a market and uh, there wasn't anybody doing it, that I would be the person that could make something work. Um, just based on, like, my skills and based on my personality and also, like, being a young female helps a lot as well. Because people identify with you more and you're more relatable to them. Anyway, so I thought I, I noticed that and I decided to start like, oh, my cousin, my cousin told me at a family dinner. He was like, oh, you know what you should do? My my friend, he does these basketball summer camps for kids and like he makes a killing and like he's always selling them out and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I never even thought of that. Like, what about um, like summer camps where girls only learn like a sick, like intensive MMA um, curriculum? And they can learn like jujitsu positioning and takedowns and like strike like striking and striking defense and stuff like that. So I started working out this whole like um, curriculum for a camp. That was the first program I ever offered was a summer camp. And that right now now it's the camps are going really well and I have many more programs. But at first it was the summer of 2017 and it was like last minute. It was already July. And I was like, you know what? I should try a camp. And I, I Facebook messaged people who had daughters that I knew of. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm starting this thing called Girls Who Fight. And I'm going to do a camp. And I found a, I rented space from a gym I knew. And I went to this like street festival called Taste of Lawrence. And I before I went to the library and I printed off these like really shitty um, like flyers that I had just made on like Word or something. I totally <laughs> <laughs> I printed them and I went to Taste of Lawrence and I just started walking up to parents who had kids and I was like, you should come to this camp. Like, <laughs> this is what it is, blah, 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 blah. I actually got color paper also for your flyers? No, it was black oh, and white. Okay. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> black and white all the way. Um, and I actually got one student from that. And that student is like the most obsessed girls who fight student to this day and goes to every single class that we do anyways um I had a camp I had a group of five five girls that first summer and it went really 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 good like everyone had a good time um I started getting I wasn't really experienced with teaching all this stuff yet so it was a good experience for me I ended up doing a last minute one that summer too but then after that summer I was like okay you know what I think there's something here um I'm gonna focus on this so I built my website, I started trying to learn about all of the backend stuff that it takes to do a business, like, like basic, like website stuff, social media stuff. Like, how do I advertise this? Like, how do I do a logo? Like little things like that. Um, and then it's been two years since that summer and it's just kind of taken off since then. Now we have like a full summer of camps with girls uh, on average, there's been like 12 to 16, sometimes even 20 girls in a camp. Wow. Um, and the classes, we start. I started weekly classes one year ago, and now we have kids' classes, teen classes, and women's classes. And the teen, the teen program is really big because we started with it, and we have like probably around 22 teen girls now who come 
um, every month. And that's, yeah, that, the camps and some basic workshops. And that's essentially Girls Who Fight. That's like the programs I offer. And then I also started looking at what other markets I could serve as I established myself as like a leader in kind of women's self-defense workshops and, and MMA and stuff. And I started focusing on uh, schools, corporations, like anywhere that I could be like, hey, you should hire me to come in and teach your group self-defense. So I did a I did a lot of work with Girl Guides and um, I've done workshops for TD Bank and SEIU, like which is a healthcare union. And these are recent things, but it just like every couple months, like the clientele keeps getting bigger and bigger, which is That's really, great. really awesome for me because like stuff, I, everything I, I did the last couple of years is just starting to pay off, I feel. That's really cool. Yeah, that's really neat. I, I think I agree that there's a market for it. I think that just people have a hard time tapping into that market. And I think people give up really easily. And I'll give you the example of, again, I'm basing myself on what's going on here in Montreal and based a little bit more on jiu-jitsu, where it's, you know, I think every school has tried or is trying to start a women's only jiu-jitsu program right? Or if it's yeah. just a class a week or it's an open mat on the weekends. And uh, most of these schools, if not all of them, are offering it for free because they're trying to get women to come yeah. in to try it and then you get hooked and then you'll pay for it afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it's the best way to go long term to build what you built, which is a women's program, right? Yeah. Um, because just because you hold an open mat with three or four girls doesn't mean that it's ever going to grow to 20, 30, 50, or 100 women. Women aren't just going to come off of the street and be like, oh, I saw on Facebook you, you, you know, you're doing a women's only jiu-jitsu, so I decided to come try. That's not how it works, right? Yeah. Um, so I think here in Montreal, I think we're going about it in the wrong way. Not that the efforts aren't good because, you know, we have a few um, women's only open mats that happen uh, in different schools here in Montreal. And they have a few girls, uh, you know, every weekend. But I think a yeah. women's only program, I think a lot of school owners and academy owners try to do it. But you really have to commit yourself 100% to build that program and go find the right resources to make it happen because it's not going to happen on its own. It's not like... Um, you know, guys who are just going to walk in off the street. Oh, I saw UFC. So I want to learn how to punch and kick and like choke people out and stuff. Women, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just not the same thing. Right. No, um, it, it, it's definitely, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I feel like for me, what I tried to do is focus the program, at least initially, it still is focused on this, but on like total beginners. So I'm not like, I'm not really selling to the current jujitsu martial arts market. I'm selling to people who would never go to an MMA gym, but they somehow find out that there's like a special girls only like fun and like empowering program. That's not like an MMA gym, but that teaches all like the important stuff. And then they decide, Oh, okay. I think my daughter like might actually like that. Um, so it's it's finding like focusing uh targeting people who really wouldn't do it otherwise. Um and I think that comes a lot from like definitely your branding and and your imaging of like what what you're offering. Mm -hmm. Would you say your um to explain the program a little bit Gemma like is it um focusing on like MMA uh competition style for women just for you know to get a, a basic skill set or is it uh, a, um, a self-defense thing where, you know, you teach them how to use stuff that they can protect themselves with. What do you focus? Yeah. 
So each program is a bit different. Um, in the camps, which I started with, it's basically like a curriculum of self like techniques that are more geared for self-defense situations from mixed martial arts. So what they'll learn is typically um, a bit of striking, a bit of wrestling, a bit of jujitsu. Uh, in striking, they'll learn how to keep a like what a stance is, how to move in a how to move properly in a stance, how to keep people like what is range and how do you maintain it. They learn how to punch and kick and defend punches and kicks. Then they learn some basic takedowns and throws. They learn on on the ground things like mount escapes, guard uh, guard sweeps. Uh, they learn like back position, side control escapes. So they they're mainly learning defensive moves. And then on top of that, that's like the that's pretty much the physical. Um, well, other than that, there's some basic self defense stuff like wrist escape wrist escapes, um, waist grab escapes, things like that. But other than that, for the camps, I also teach them how to walk confidently. Like we do, we literally walk across the room and I'll be like, okay, show me your most like insecure pose and walk. And I'll like give them a bunch of fun walks like that and they'll do it. And then we'll, we'll also work on, okay, how do I walk confidently now? How do I speak assertively and those things I find parents are really interested in, too, because it's like the preventative side. Um, and you can sell that a lot more based on like safety and empowerment and stuff. So that's the that's the camp curriculum for the basic workshops. It's kind of what I explained, but a lot less like proper. St- so if someone hires me for two hours to teach something, I first start with what is a stance? Um, how to move forward, back, left, right. Then we do this drill where they get in front of someone and they have to like, one person has to try and touch the other person's back and the other person has to keep them away using their range and their footwork um, to circle around. So they work on stance, they work on wrist escapes, they work on um, mount uh, mount escapes and some other basic stuff. And for self-defense workshops, that's essentially all, 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 all I will teach. Um and to finish it off for the classes, the girls that come every single week, they're learning MMA, everything except for like heart uh, striking sparring. So they're not doing any sparring where they're getting like hurt, um, but they're learning, they're doing pads, they're doing drills, and then they're doing like live wrestling and live rolling. And what's your cur- what's your current training schedule looking like? So what have you kept up with and what are you, you know, what, what's a typical week when it comes to your own personal training? Yeah, it, I wish it was better. <laughs> um, when I started, okay, as soon as I stopped fighting, the first year where I was just like working on learning all this business stuff and, and like resetting my focus, I basically stopped training. I stopped training. I think I trained like once a week max for that year. And then after that, I was like, when I started getting kind of comfortable with what I was doing, um, I went back and I've been training, I would say I've been training like three to four times a week, uh, since January, mostly the summer is kind of tough because I have summer camps and also classes after and workshops. So the two months in summer are super busy. But other than that, um, I do like two jujitsu sessions and two striking sessions a week ideally like that's that's best case scenario um i try sorry oh oh, sorry i was just gonna ask you you, are you doing gi or no gi well i i really like no gi way more but now that i'm not like my schedule isn't totally open (laughs) for like 
training isn't the top of my priorities for for scheduling I have to basically take whatever classes I can get so I am training in the gi now too but I try to always make the Monday no gi class and then another the other day is usually always gi why do you like no gi better than gi honestly I think I like it better because I am better at it I think people (laughs) tend to yeah people like tend to like things doing things that they feel good at when I was MMA fighting um I really only trained nogi like the classes that I would make out for jiu-jitsu sessions were all nogi and wrestling so I got way more comfortable in nogi and when I went back to like doing gi I just like my grips are not good I feel like I'm like I'm a four stripe purple belt I feel like a brown belt in nogi and I feel like like a four stripe blue belt (laughs) in the gi Um, just because my like I'm not very comfortable breaking grips with my my own grips are weak um just like how slow it is i can't do a lot of the things that i would normally be able to do easily in the gi especially with takedowns and that those kinds of things because people are people just stop you with their grip and they just kind of hold you there and they're like no we're not going to do any of that and uh, that that's okay it's just um i got much more familiar with fighting no gi so i think that's why i like it more kind of the same reason why i like gi because yeah we can can use i'm an older guy so i like to take my time get these little 20 year olds going crazy i can just (laughs) hold on a second hit the brakes grab the gi slow down (laughs) yeah no yeah totally because that that makes sense and that might be a reason why gi jiu-jitsu is is a sport that people can do for so long like because you can really control how hard you want to go which is a good thing. And do you think that you'll are, – are you still competing in jiu-jitsu or do you want to continue to compete in some shape or form? I haven't yet since I had my – oh, the last competition I did was Worlds in 2016 for jiu-jitsu. But since then I haven't. I do want to. I think I would actually probably do one in the near future. I think I've just – like the last year has been a mix of um, not – not feeling like I'm getting enough training or like just genuinely not getting enough training. But I also feel I really want to mainly because um, I want to practice what I'm preaching and with my students, at least I'm kind of teaching them to be courageous, to try things, to not worry about failing, like to do your best, to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And I feel like even if I don't feel like I have, um, the that like six days of hard training that I used to have I shouldn't let that like mentally stop me from signing up for a jiu-jitsu tournament whereas I feel like that is a factor in my like somewhere in my my psyche being like oh you know when like from going from MMA fighting where you're training um like all week and it's really really good training and you're getting the best then to going to having like a couple years off and only a couple days of training, you can feel like, Oh, well I'm not going to do as good. And that plays with your, yeah. I think that just affects you mentally, but that's not, I don't want to let any of those things they do, but I don't want to let them. Right. So I want to kind of like uh, persist uh, despite those things. And for that reason, like the next no gi, well, I would, I might do gi, but I would really, really prefer prefer no gi. So I'll, I'm going to try to sign up for some in the near future and uh, try to just do my best to train for them. And it would honestly be so nice to have like the girls 
come and watch me because they would be so excited. Um, and it would just be good to like show them, Hey, like it's okay. You can go and like prepare for a competition and do it. Whether you win or whether you lose, like you can do it and you should. I think a lot of it is like you said, Jim, about practicing what you preach. I think it sets a really good yeah. example for them also that the teachers there, you know, you know, competing against other people and putting their, you know, her own skills to the test. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just, it's, it's good for me personally because it will keep me, it will keep me sharp. It will give me more motivation to keep training and to keep learning more and to stay more well-rounded with like just my life in general and not just let myself get so overwhelmed with like work and business. And, um, but it's also good for the business at the same time because it's showing, I, like, I know, um, like I, I know with, with when I'm focused, I'm a very, very like good competitor and athlete and student. So I know I have all the things needed to do well. Um, and that would be just good for the business too, to show that the people that are teaching it are still like active and they're still, you know, taking risks and just like putting their money where their mouth is. What was the youngest girl that you have right now in your program? Six years old. Wow. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. When it comes to, I know you were talking about, um, you know, brain injuries when people get kicked and getting knocked out in the set. And they're saying, you know, you want to, jiu-jitsu is a sport that you can do when you're, you know, in your 60s and 70s. I'm curious of getting choked out. Maybe not on a daily basis, but like a few times a week. I wonder if the, how much that affects your brain long term. Getting choked out, out, yeah. or like no, maybe not just like out, tapping, out. Yeah, like tapping like out. Tap, yeah, just like tapping. But I mean, I, I mean, there, there's different levels of tapping, right? Like, am I tapping right away the second that the guy puts a choke on me? But I, I, it's something that just popped in my head when we were talking about like white matter and stuff like that. I wonder if doing jujitsu for like 30 years or 35 years if it has any impact like on your neck and getting choked out and blood circulation. Oh, like that. I interesting. Like I, yeah. I have always kind of thought of jujitsu as being damaging to the body. Not so much like you can always, there's always concussion risks with any sport. Like you could be playing soccer and you know, get you could get kicked in the head by accident or something yeah. uh, with jujitsu is the same. Like my brother got a concussion from, I think, he was rolling and someone else, like, I don't know, he, he stepped back and he just kicked him in the head. But it's not like the main risk where like with striking, but with jujitsu, your body, like you definitely will have body issues and body pain long term mm. if think, you're doing it that long. I think um, going on what you're saying, Ray, about being choked out for 30 years, whatever, if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to tap and just like yourself. No, no, I mean when i say you i mean one when one you know doesn't oh. have to tap. Yeah. <laughs> i'm just coming on what ray was saying he was wondering if you know there's a long-term effect on that i would say i mean obviously you know i'm not an expert but if you're not tapped if you're not waiting for the guy to put you out cold hmm. then where's the real damage i don't think there is real damage but i think if you are the guy that lets the guy put you out cold and <laughs> yeah over and week, over right pr you're, 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 you're preventing blood from going to your brain so there's got to be some minor damage happening yeah. there, right? Yeah, maybe. Like, maybe. But who does that? 
Uh, I don't know. There's, there's always one it. idiot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely top out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gemma, tell us a little bit about uh, your family. So tell us about your brother because someone had posted on Facebook that we should get your brother on the podcast. So he's also a jiu-jitsu practitioner, right? Yeah, he's a brown belt now. He's like, he's just, just jiu-jitsu obsessed as always when he started. Um, it's funny because when I... I pulled him into the gym because I started first, which I love to remind people. <laughs> I started kickboxing and he started coming to do kickboxing. And then I started jujitsu and I was like, Michael, Michael, I think you'll, you'll actually really, really like jujitsu. And he looked at it. He was like, I don't want to roll on the floor with guys like that. <laughs> and, and then after that, he tried it. And now that's all he wants to do. <laughs> um, Got it. Yeah, so he he trains at Toronto BJ. He trained at Gringos for a long time. He's at Toronto BJJ now. Um, he competes like everywhere. I don't. He doesn't live with um, me anymore, so I don't really see him much. But I just I know he's always like traveling and training, and he's just doing doing very very well with jujitsu. Nice. What's your brother's name? Michael. Michael. Yeah. Nice. So tell tell everybody uh, where they could find you on social media. Um, my Instagram is girls who fight underscore to. That's my like girls who fight Instagram. Obviously, my my personal one is just Gemma Sheehan, and uh, Facebook is girls who fight underscore to as well. And that's that's about it. My website is um, girls who fight ca. Okay. Nice. Awesome. Now you had also I also read in your bio that you do some you've done some speaking engagements or occasions or whatever. Um, where have you spoken? What kind of talks have you done? Yeah, at first I started at um, at Rotary clubs because uh, two in 2018 I went to South Africa and I I volunteered teaching self defense to people in a township. So that was really cool because I. Um, I emailed a bunch of like volunteer organizations in the country and I said, Hey, like, this is me. Check out my website. I'm, I'm coming to South Africa. And if you can get me in front of an audience, I will teach them for free. Like, I don't need anything from you. I'll pay for my Airbnb and everything. And I raised money here in Toronto. Uh, Justin Bruckman put on, like, let me, let us use his space and him and a bunch of other black belts, monkey, gringo, um, English, uh, they put on a seminar for free and they let me, well, it wasn't free. It was 20 bucks, but they let me keep all the proceeds from that. So that helped me pay for things like that. Some people donated to a GoFundMe. Um, and so people really, really, really helped me along there. But anyways, I, I got to go to South Africa and teach them for three weeks. And then I, I like, I, I'm always trying to get media coverage. So whenever I do something, I like email a bunch of media outlets and luckily global news responded. They were like, Oh, we want to, that's so cool that you're doing that. We want to come and film you. So I did something on global news and then a rotary club saw me and they asked me to come speak at their uh, meeting. I did three after that. And since then I've been speaking at like uh, mainly uh, girls and women's events um, like, say something like G day or lead through sport, which is their, their companies that get, they have like a, a conference or something of girls that do different things. And I spoke at a high school panel, um, at TD bank recently, and I'm doing, I'm preparing for one now, which is like 30 minutes, which is going to be crazy. Cause I have no idea what I'm going to talk about for 30 minutes, but 
this guy who runs something called, um, I think it's called uh, Brightworks. And he has this conference with a lot of like um, prestigious people apparently every year. And he somehow heard my, oh, he read it. He read my story in Toronto Life. And he asked if I, if I could prepare a 30 minute talk. And I was like, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, like, cool. absolutely. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm working on it. But it just seems like something that is um, like the the opportunities are coming in. So I'm going to try to get better at speaking. And I really like things like this because it helps me get more comfortable with just like talking and sharing. <laughs> so nice. thank you. Thank you so <laughs> well, much for like. No, if you have this. to fill 30 minutes, you just have to go and re-listen to this podcast and you right. like your 30 minutes are, are done. <laughs> That's it. It's over. <laughs> That's wicked. Yeah, okay, but, good. Well, hopefully you can book uh, some of that, and maybe who knows? Maybe there's some Montreal people who wouldn't mind booking you and send, bring you over here to do some talks too. That'd be cool. Yeah, sometimes people want to hear about like my like my my story, or sometimes people want to hear about like the work with like assertiveness training or like just the work with women. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's always kind of like sh- surprise. Like not, I don't mean to like be uh self-deprecating but when people are like that interested i'm like oh really <laughs> like, you want me to talk for 30 minutes about just like my life okay okay hey, uh, um bro- it's always bro- kind of surprising but you know i'm, I'm not going to turn down turn it down no for sure brian and, and i get that all the time i we, we don't understand why people actually listen to us talk about jiu-jitsu it's, it's, it's very surprising <laughs> but they do so why not Let's go yeah <laughs> well Gemma, thanks very much for being on the show i know you have to go because you have to go to training but i really appreciate you being on and uh, you're welcome back anytime oh thank you so much for having me it was such a pleasure thank you guys so thanks, much Gemma been listening to let's talk jujitsu with raymond terrence go follow us on facebook and instagram and don't forget to subscribe to our youtube page turn on notifications and press that like button thanks for listening we'll see you on the mat